0: so good to be with you today. As as most of you know, uh, I pastored down the street with where you guys are going to have men's breakfast uh, for almost 17 years. Uh, I was really, really good friends with Pastor Eric and his family, and obviously the church as well. And and, um, we recently resigned to minister to hikers full time, something that's been growing in our hearts since 2019. So uh, here we are four years, almost five years later. so the crazy thing is what I think it's appropriate is this is our first church we're speaking at after resigning from faith. So, uh, so, so you get the first. So you give us feedback afterwards like, hey, you should change that. You should switch that because um, we feel like we're amongst among friends. So I'm going to minister to you this morning though and weave in some of what we do with hikers because uh, I'm a pastor at heart. I can't just come and be a commercial. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to encourage you in the Lord. Um, afterwards, if you have any questions, my wife and I will be in the foyer there. and you can, uh, my, I have my backpack. You can ask questions, all those kinds of things. But, um, uh, so today I want to look at a story in the Bible that kind of illustrates a little bit of what we do. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16Whoever got me the water, thank you, you are blessed by the Lord." <laughs> Literally it's scriptural, so <clears throat> well, I'm going to start off with reading verses one through six. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, "The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant." Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to um, treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault, I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, that you would take it today and minister to our hearts. In your name, amen. So a little context, uh, Abram, who later becomes Abraham, had a promise from God that you can read back in Genesis chapter 12. What was that promise? In essence, three things. One, you'll be blessed with a great name. I mean, a lot of our world wants a great name, right? Like every influencer on social media, uh, every buddy working in the workforce, if you own your own business, you, you, want, you want a great name. Like, I want to be known. I want the, the Steve Hawley fill-in-the-blank to be worldwide, right? But he's, you're going to have a great name. You're going to be the father of a great nation. I mean, come on, wow. Like, I'm going to birth an entire nation, and that nation's going to be great? Thirdly, the whole earth is going to be blessed through you. I mean, these are impossible. It seems like impossible promises, right? I mean, not only is your name going to be great, you're going to give, you're, you're going to birth a great nation, and the entire world is going to be blessed through you. That's just, I don't, like, that, that, that's just a, a level of wow uh, I can't imagine. We have a problem, though. His wife, Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, isn't getting pregnant really, really hard to give birth to a great nation if you're not having kids, right? I mean, it's like saying, hey, you're going to be a great dad. Well, I don't have any kids. You're going to be a good dad though. Okay. Like something has to happen here. So at around 75 years old, Sarai gives her slave Hagar to Abram as a wife. Now before you, this is culturally appropriate at the time, which is why um, just a little sidebar here in when we when Moses gives the law, there are God institutes laws that when a slave becomes a wife, she has rights now she 's no longer a slave, and so that was unique to Israel at the time so it, anyway, looking that but it was culturally normal to to have a family through a servant or a slave, um, and God demanded that. That woman become a wife, not just maintain, be, stay a slave. It's not the point of today. <laughs> so uh, she gives over, and Hagar gets pregnant. It's awesome for, for Abram, right? But that, some problems arise from this. What's this? So if, if you've ever uh, had friends or you have been in a relationship with your spouse where you couldn't have children... Some of the questions, well, who's the issue with? Is it the guy or is it the gal? Right? Well, now we know who the issue's with. It's not Abram. It's Sarai who can't have children. And uh, I'm not a woman, never have been a woman, but I'm married (laughs) to a woman and I have a daughter. And I can tell you that there's something within the heart of a woman to... Uh, be a mother. It's an important, it's an important piece. Um, I mean that's why my daughter wanted a cat when she was like five, because she wanted something to take care of. But Sarai can't have kids. Hagar now begins to feel more important or of greater worth than Sarai, because now she's a wife and God's promise is going being revealed, realized through her. So she has greater value to Sarai. And then Hagar begins to treat her as such. You can almost hear the conversation. First of all, I never recommend having two wives and living in the same home. That's just got to be terrible. I can't even imagine. I'm glad there's laws against it. But you can almost hear the conversation. Like Hagar, you tried all these years and failed. God's promised your husband's going to be fulfilled through me, not you. Right? These kinds of feelings and emotions. Scripture says that uh, Hagar began to treat Sarah with contempt. She mistreated her. Now, Sarah complains to Abram, right? And what's his response? It's the same response guys have been using for generations. Leave me out of this. You handle it. Leave me out of it. Right? And so Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar. Now, when you, if you do uh, a, a word study and you look at the, that word in Hebrew that was used by mistreat, it doesn't mean she just began to like beat her up and mistreat her. It means to put her in her place. She, it means to humble through affliction. So in other words, Hagar was out of place and uh, Sarah began to put her back in her place by, by how she treated her. So not that it was right, um, but she began to counteract what Hagar was doing. So, all of this, and Hagar runs into the wilderness. Uh, depending on your translation, some says the desert, some says a wilderness place. Uh, in scripture, that's synonymous. When it says uh, desert or wilderness, they mean the same thing. So, a combination of harsh treatment, pride, and an unwilling to humble finds Hagar in the wilderness. So, what's the focus? For today, Hagar is caught between Abram and Sarai's struggle with God's promise. Mm-hmm. Right, she becomes the resource used in their failed attempt to help God. Right? You guys see that in scripture. She's she's caught in the middle, and um, they're trying to help God, and she's the resource that gets used in that attempt. Second, Hagar fights for her own worth to be recognized. And if you've, if, um, if you've ever been at the bottom and not the top, you, you, you intrinsically want to, people to know that you have value too, right? And you do have value. But oftentimes when you're on the bottom, like a slave would be, uh, that's not recognized. And so she does this, though, through elevating herself while stepping on Sarai treating Sarah as smaller and insignificant in order to prove her own worth. You see that in treating her with contempt, she starts getting, hey, I can get pregnant, you can't, and begins to mistreat in order to elevate herself. Thirdly, Hagar's pride and brokenness create a mess, right? So Sarah seeks to humble her and put her in her place, and instead she runs away. So I say all this to you today because depending on your length of time in church and reading this, uh, in this story, there's fault on both sides. Hagar has some issues. Sarai has some issues. And uh, Abraham doesn't want anything to do with it. He just wants a son. (laughs) I mean, like, just leave me out of it. Give me a son. I don't care. So let me say this. In moments of hardship, whether it's our own making or someone else's making, we often feel forgotten and abandoned by God, right? Whether it's, whether it's a, a hardship that you created or a hardship that you're walking through because somebody else created it, we often feel forgotten or abandoned by God. Thoughts that God doesn't care creep into our heart and mind. And if you've gone through a hardship, uh, you know I'm speaking the truth. Because of our brokenness and the brokenness of others, our first response is usually to run. You say, well, what do you mean to run? Everyone runs to something different. We run to a bottle, or we run to drugs, or we medicate with food. We, we run to collecting toys and hobbies. We, we pursue power, right? We run to perfection or self-righteousness. We run to sexual experimentation. We run to being overachievers. Some of us run to wilderness areas to be far from God and people, a.k.a. hikers. The reality is we run to anything that makes us feel good about ourselves, whatever that is for you. I mean, I'm having a bad day. What do I do? I want a pizza or a burger. And then I have to chase that down with an ice cream sundae. Right? And then I'm upset because I've gained a couple of pounds. But really, we run to anything that will make us feel good about ourselves. This is huge, and we need to recognize it in our brokenness, because sometimes those things that feel good about ourselves, we can find our identity in those things, which is where the Pharisees were before Jesus and their self-righteousness. They were keeping all the rules. I'm good about myself. I can keep all the rules. Jesus is like, can you imagine? He's like, you're a whitewashed tomb. <clears throat> Outside you look great, but inside you're full of dead bones. Like, he was, he was pressed, Jesus was pressing on this issue. A few years ago, I was on a multi-day hike in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And um, one evening, uh, I was on the Appalachian Trail, headed south from Gorham, New Hampshire. And uh, one evening, I was in a tent area with a group of hikers. Um, there was probably... I don't know, a good 12 12 of us tenting in that same area. It was a mixture of what we call on the trail nobos and sobos. Nobos are northbound hikers, sobos are southbound hikers, and hobos are people who just live on the trail. So um, that evening, uh, everything usually you, you show up into a tenting area, and it could be an area about the size of this room. Everybody just sets up their tents wherever. When everything's all done and all the chores are done, you sit down, you make your food, and that's the social time you sit around you have a conversation so that, that's happening and one of the hikers pulls out uh, one of those smart water bottles about this big and uh, but it's like tan the water's tan colored looking and he begins to start passing around and sharing it and I re- quickly realize it's not water it's whiskey so uh, you know you know they're passing around I'm like you know I just Plaintly decline, like um, no, thank you. And you know, they sharing some drinks and stories and that kind of stuff. Go to bed. Next morning, uh, get up, and I, I'm heading south on the trail. And those who are southbounding, uh, Sobos, there's uh, there was a group of three, two guys and a girl, uh, three friends. That are just hiking together. And by lunchtime, the girl in the group is extremely sick. Um, she's she's vomiting. Um, she's got cramps. Um, having a hard time. And, and, you know, I I noticed this around lunchtime, and I, by evening time, uh, you saw it in the video, they have these three-sided shelters that hikers can um, uh, hole up in for the night, lay out your sleeping bag, sleep. So I'm, I'm setting up my sleeping bag and such, and they come rolling in, and she's just done. She's sick to her stomach. She is, uh, she just, rolls her sleep bag out and crawls in and goes right to sleep. And uh, so her buddies make, her her two friends make um, make dinner and we're having a conversation and this time instead of the whiskey, they, they, they pull out the uh, marijuana, the cannabis. And they're passing a the joint around and they're like, you want some? Like, it's not my thing, I'm sorry. Kindly, I kindly declined. And this isn't my sermon, today, let me pause here. Some, If you've grown up in the church, these things seem really bad. Like, alcohol and weed like how dare they Um, but these were acts of kindness for on their end they're like hey you want to share and so it's important as Christians to recognize that when the world wants to share what it has with you it might be offensive to you but on their end there it's a token of friendship So just handle it appropriately as if, you know, so just be nice. Be nice. So I kindly decline. No, thank you. Appreciate it. That's generous. Thank you. But no, thank you. So next morning, um, the sectional hike leads me up to Mount Washington. Girl says she feels a little bit better. And um, uh, by the time we get to Mount Washington, it's a little after lunchtime. She's, She's sick again. I mean, she's vomiting. She basically, if you've been on Mount Washington, there's an observatory with a cafeteria and snack bar kind of thing. She basically crawls in there into the bathroom, and she's doing her thing. And I say, listen, you shouldn't be up here uh, vomiting like this. It's going to be bad for you. Why don't we take a shuttle down? My truck's in the parking lot at the base, and I'll take you to the hospital. And um, uh, so her story, um, she was getting worse. And so she took me up on it and, and we went. And I'm going to finish this story in a minute because I'm interweaving this uh, with Hagar. Let's look at uh, Genesis uh, 16, verse 7. Let's continue. Um, remember, the Hagar runs away. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. She ran to the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, Where have you come from and where are you going? As if God doesn't know. I mean, you're like, God, didn't you know where she's going? Like, God knows everything. Like, often God asks you questions for you to get your focus in the right place. Right. (laughs) I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. An angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. Did you know that That Ishmael meant God hears? We often think of Ishmael as, you know, a wild person because he was. But um, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Ladies, how many of you want a prophetic word like that over your son? Like, like, right. Verse 13. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Ber Lahay Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son and Abram named him Ishmael. Interesting. That's just, there's little small little tidbits in in the scriptures, like, Abram listened to Hagar's what to name the son, because God didn't speak to Abram what to name him, spoke to Hagar, and Abram listened. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Wow. Any of you folks who had children in your older age? Abram, Abraham is your inspiration. Um... (laughs) What do we see in, this, in these scriptures? Uh, Hagar goes back. is that crazy? So she's being so mistreated. Some of it's her own making. Some of it's the fact that she was uh, used as a resource and, and not really cared for properly. And it creates this, this situation that's so terrible that she says, I got to get out of here. And she runs away. And then she goes back. Let me ask you something. What changed? I mean, did Sarah call her up and say, no, I've really mistreated you. I'm really sorry. Would you come back? I'm, I'm apologizing to you. Did, did somebody give her a large sum of money? Did Abraham call her and say, listen, I'll give you your own tent so you don't have to share it with anybody? Like. She knows the only thing that basically nothing changed, in her, uh, nothing changed for Hagar, but something changed because you don't, you don't alter your course of life. You don't alter the direction you're walking unless something changes. Something changed in her. Correct. What changed Hagar. El Roy, the God who sees me. And isn't there something about knowing that God sees us that all of a sudden changes something inside? You can be in the darkest, deepest, most frustrating experience you could be walking through, and as soon as you know that God sees you, something changes. Something shifts. And that's exactly what was going on For Hagar, nothing changed. Sarai was still her mistress. She was still giving birth to a son. She had to go back and submit, which she did. Because something changed. Psalm uh, 139 is such a fantastic psalm. Um, I'm going to read a few verses to you. Verses one through four. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Jump to verse seven. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I'm going to jump to verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded In your book, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Here's the psalmist's thoughts. How precious are your thoughts about me, God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. And he goes on from there. David says, how precious are your thoughts of me. Matthew chapter uh, twenty-eight, uh, very famous. It's the it's the Great Commission, um, and Jesus is encouraging um, is encouraging the disciples, and he says, "Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you." You know how he encourages them, and be sure of this: I am with you always. Man, there's something encouraging. There's something that shifts when we know that God sees us and he's with us. Even if God is doing nothing else, he sees me. He knows my circumstance. He knows right where I'm at. He sees me. And then Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul writes that famous portion of scripture about nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Man. Man. Um, that, that girl hiker on the way, uh, down the mountain, get my truck, We're we're headed to the hospital and she's super concerned. I just want to go to a walk-in clinic and get out. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, you should go to the hospital. She's very concerned over her parents' ability to pay because this girl's the same age as my daughter. And so I'm like, okay, well, what do your parents do for work? She said, my mom works at a daycare center, and my dad's a pastor. <laughs> to which I replied, oh, huh, that's funny. I'm a pastor. And it took her about three seconds, and she realized that I had observed her and her friends drinking whiskey and smoking dope. And she said, why didn't you say anything to us when we were drinking and smoking? To which I replied, none of my business. Well, the hospital took care of her medical needs. Um, Afterwards, uh, we were sitting around some good tacos, and we just had great conversation around her frustrations with the church and what she had grown up learning and you know, just her as a pastor's kid and um you know it was just really good conversation. And uh and as I left her I said I encourage you that in your greatest time of need, God saw you and he sent a pastor to take care of you. Because the doctor told her 24 to 48 more hours on the mountain, you would have had to have been rescued off the mountain. She had she had um, something on her back, a bug bite or something that had gotten infected, and because it's on your back and she couldn't see it and it's not it wasn't within reach, she didn't even know it was there, and it was it was getting an infection into her blood, which was making her sick when she gave physical um, exertion, and so she had to they did a procedure and cleaned it and. She had to stay in a hotel for three days before she could hike again. So I went and I picked her two friends up who were hiking. I brought them to the hotel so the three of them could be together and um, all those kinds of things. And, but I knew that God saw her. She knew that God saw her. At that moment, she said, God saw me. And this is some, some of what we do through Hiker Church. We let those who are walking in wilderness know that God sees them. Because not everybody who goes on a hike is looking to escape the world and has issues. But somebody, after church, when you look in the back, people who put on a 35 to 50 pound backpack, take five to seven months off life and walk for 2,200 miles. They're searching for something. Something's going on. Transition in life, a heartache, something's something's going on, many of them. And so to just walk and say, hey, God sees you. Something shifts when we know that God sees us. So, guess what? I'm here to tell you the same thing today that I tell hikers on the trail that God sees you. What does this mean? Have you ever been caught up in church politics or religious extremism where the brokenness of leaders has caused you pain and now you're dealing with church hurt? God sees you. Have you ever been used as a resource? I mean, you've given it everything you got only to be discarded when you're no longer needed. God sees you. In trying to convince others of your value or worth, have you, been, have you messed up? been misunderstood, pushed down, put in your place, or thrown out? God sees you. Are you running from your problems and your own brokenness only to find yourselves isolated and far from the life and promises that God gave you? God sees you. You see, God sees you wherever you're at, whatever hardship you're facing. And so the question Knowing now that God sees you is what is your move? What do you do with that? Here's the thing. What we see in this story is we must commit to doing things God's way. I mean, John chapter 14, verses, uh, verse 15, says, If you love me, obey my commandments. In Matthew 16, verse 24, one that we, you know, we love to, to quote, but we don't like to do. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, sometimes like Hagar, that means going back and submitting. Like, oh, no way. She mistreated me. She needs to apologize before I go back. Mm-hmm. It's not what God told her. God says, I see you. Go back. I wonder what would have happened if Hagar didn't go back. <laughs> what, what about the promises of Ishmael and all that happens Uh So sometimes like Hagar, it means going back. Sometimes like Abraham, it's leave your family and all you know. Sometimes like Joseph, it's serving well while you're in prison. Sometimes like Jonah, it's ministering to the people you despise. Sometimes like David, it's refusing to knock off the previous king so you can be king. Sometimes it's like Jesus. Jesus. Forgiving those who have harmed you. But it only works out when you do it God's way. That's the only time it works out. And we draw strength from the fact that we know that God sees us. God sees us and he asks us to do the hard thing. And it's when we Know that God sees us and we do the hard thing that things work out for his glory and for our best. Now, the girl that was sick, I mean, she realized that in all her questions and all her frustrations with church and Bible and all those kinds of things, she turned to the wrong things. She knew that God saw her. I mean, I heard her tell her father on the phone, it's okay, Dad, God sent a pastor to take care of me. Now, I don't know how she responded to God after that. I don't know if she turned her life around. I don't know if she repented. I don't know if she went back. I don't know if she embraced the church. I don't, I don't know any of it. I paid the bill at the taco stand, dropped her and her friends off at the hotel, and I went on my way. But I do know that God saw her. And I know that she knows that God saw her. And I know today that God sees you. Amen? Amen? God sees you. What will you do with that?